Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Huge news, Sammy. I should have led with this. I buried the lead. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. I want cake, I want cake! With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. Never interrupt a happy toddler. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. You're right, and I don't want to hear it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Amy. And this is Margaret. And today we're talking about teaching kids patience, Amy. (laughs) Can we? Should we? Patience is not a virtue of mine, at least not like 24-7. You know, at least I'm aware of it. Awareness is the first step, right? I don't believe that there are many people who are patient 24-7. Okay, fine. Yeah, patience is an interesting one. Like, is patience a virtue? I think yes. Yeah, if you're on the receiving end of it. We want our kids to be more patient. We all want our kids to be more patient, but how do we get there? I was thinking this morning about a, a major source of impatience in my life that has been removed just over like the last five, 10 years and thinking like, hmm, will this be something our kids are less good at? I don't know if you've noticed. I've noticed with my kids, they have no idea how to get places because they're not used to like looking out the window of the car or figuring it out. They just follow Google Maps. They just open Google Maps and do what it says. So if my kids, I'm like, you have to walk, and we live in New York City, like, you just have to walk over to Central Park West. My teenager would be like, I don't know which way that is. And like, <laughs> it's a grid. But they're a little bit direction blind because they haven't had to find their way places. Would have never thought of that. Interesting. So, I mean, that's not patience. But the part that is patience is I will often say to my kids in the car, you know, I'm like the old Deluxe saying this, like, it changes things so much to be stuck in traffic and have Google Maps up on your dashboard or in your cup holder or wherever you're looking at it and see... You're in about a 10 minute slowdown and you only have to go about, you know, this another inch of red and then it's going to be fun. It's going to open up. I feel like that has transformed my life to be stuck in traffic and know how long and how far I'm going to be stuck in that traffic as opposed to like, I will live here now. Interesting. I hadn't really clocked that. I play beat Google Maps estimate, and that is like not healthy for me. (laughs) I'm like 247. I could get there by 245. You know, I recently was driving to pick somebody up and then go to dinner. And I mean, I was studying that Google Maps thing, you know, like, well, if I could get there and if I could get one minute earlier, then we could be in time for the restaurant. And it gets in my brain, those Google Maps, but I get it. So it could teach you impatience, right? That part teaches you impatience. 
I think the idea of knowing what is going to be, I think that that is a really interesting and perceptive thing about patients is there's a difference between a problem that is solvable. Like, okay, you and I, you are writing a book, right? Like, it's stressful, but there's an end point. Like, you will finish writing a book as opposed to something like my mother-in-law recently broke a bone. Is it healing? How long is it going to take? Does it ever fully heal? And it's much more abstract or like maybe you have a chronic disease or something that like the patience of dealing with something that has an endpoint is very different than the patience of enduring something that might or might not be endless. We talked a lot about that during COVID, right? During COVID, I used the example that I was running a marathon overseas and and I thought the marathon was 40 kilometers long, but it was 42 kilometers long because I just hadn't done the math correctly. And it's like in COVID, it felt like, OK, it's 40 kilometers. That's how long you're going to be in this race. The schools are shutting for five weeks. Actually, it's five months. Possibly it's five years. You know, patience in a void is very different than the patience to finish something that, you know, has an end point. Or that you don't know. So my son got a concussion at a high school athletic event, hit his head in the ground, and of course was immediately like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Why, why are you, but you know, and anyway, we go to the doctor. He's not fine. By the next day, he has, he needs to wear sunglasses and his head hurts. And the doctor said, I remember so well, I said, how long will this take? How long should he be home from school, not doing work, not looking at his phone, not looking at TV? And the doctor said, it's hard to say. It's going to take as long as it takes. One day he'll wake up and it'll be gone and he'll feel fine. And that's how you'll know it's done. And you just have to wait until then. And it was a long, it was about eight days, I think. It was a long time. So the easy fix, right? I'm thinking like, okay, it's hard for kids to wait when they don't know how long they'll have to wait. So if you have your four-year-old at the doctor's office, then play a waiting game, right? That's a way to teach them to be less impatient. But I wonder about like, if you never have to wonder how long till the next subway comes, because there's a sign that says you've never ha have to wonder how long till you get somewhere. My daughter in the car just this week said, when are we going to get there? We were about 20 minutes from home. When are we going to get there? And I said, about 20 minutes. When? When are we going to get there? 11.52. And I said, well, pull out Google Maps. Yeah, it was like 12 minutes, whatever. Is the point to let our kids live in that rather than make it seem more certain when it's over? Well, Amy, we're going to get there, but let's dial back for a moment. Let's start with kids are famously impatient, right? Yes. So we've been talking about ourselves, our maybe older kids. Let's start from this idea that patience is a developing skill that gets better with age. So there's been a million studies on this. Ronnie Lieberman, PhD, Associate Dean of the Mailman Siegel Institute for Early Childhood Studies at Nova Southeastern University. That's a mouthful. <laughs> that is a mouthful. She says that some kids are naturally more patient than others and that there is undoubtedly a difference between what you can expect from a three-year-old and what you can expect from a five-year-old. As your child's language skills develop and he or she gains more experience with waiting, you can expect him or her to be more patient. So patience is about, in kids, it's a frustration point, basically. I have been told at some point that I have a child with a low frustration tolerance. Yes, I'm familiar with those sorts of people. 
but that it makes sense that kids, they're underdeveloped in their walking skills as infants, and they're underdeveloped in their head holding up skills as small babies. And so it makes sense. And it's helpful. People say, like, why is my kid doing this? And I say, first, because it's developmentally Developmentally appropriate. appropriate. Now, it doesn't mean you like it or that there's nothing you can do about it or that you just have to accept it. But patience and lack of patience, very developmentally appropriate for young kids. What about theory of mind? It occurs to me that that must play into this. So theory of mind is this whole idea that develops, I believe, somewhere in the three to five range, you know, like sort of preschooler age. And this is simplistic, but theory of mind is basically that there are other people who have thoughts and feelings that aren't the same as what's in your head at any given moment. Yes. So theory of mind, it's why a two-year-old can't take a turn, right? First, Margaret is going to have the truck and then you can have the truck. No, but I want the truck. There's no theory of mind. That's too hypothetical to them that somebody else could want something as much as they do. And so they have to wait. That's not something a two-year-old is very good at, but a four or five-year-old can get it. Kids are very self-centered and they don't actually understand that your mind and their mind is different. So therefore, like if I want to look at the truck, you should want to look at the truck, whether or not you are driving a car. So the fact that you don't want to look at the truck is confusing to me because I want to look at the truck and I don't understand that you and I have separate minds. That is another developmental phase that ties into patience, right? Theory of mind and understanding that you and I have different brains. Another thing is the development of executive function skills. Amy, Philip Zelazo, a professor of child development at the University of Minnesota, says... Executive function skills appear early. A six-month-old can search for a hidden object. So that is the ability to understand that I have agency over something that is hidden for me, six months old. And that you can remember, I think, part of it is that you can remember that it's there. I can't see it right now, but it's still there. Wouldn't that be executive function? Kind of holding it in your head. That's object permanence, right? That something I can't see. I think executive function has something to do with working memory, that you can hold things in your head. Okay. Exactly. Like putting these ideas together. Okay. A six-month-old can search for a hidden object, but they continue to develop this skill until around age 25. So while a seven, eight, or nine-year-old can certainly be patient, you are working with an immature skill. Explains a lot. It tells me a lot about that immature skill. It does. And I think that the idea that like the skills that we can see seem very one way to us. You don't expect a two-year-old to hit a three-pointer with a regulation-sized basketball, right? Like that would be a ridiculous thing to ask of a two-year-old. But I do think that we're sometimes like, why won't this two-year-old just wait until I finish making dinner because they're screaming. It's like, I have a new cat right now. Huge news, Sammy. I should have led with this. I buried the lead. We got another cat. So now I have two pets. A person who wanted no cats now has two. Is there a name? Is there a name winner for the new cat? Thanks to the What Fresh Hell podcast group, there is a name, Millie the cat. We had about four weeks where we had no name for the cat. And so I finally went to the What Fresh Hell Facebook group and put up a picture of the kitten. And I said, what should we name the cat? And someone suggested Millie. And my kid who love Millie Bobby Brown were enamored by the name Millie. I was trying to push for Moxie, but they went with Millie. But anyway, the cats, when you start to do the ritual of feeding them, they start meowing as if to say, don't forget to feed us. And you just want to say, I'm already feeding you. I'm literally engaged in the task. Yeah. I have a can of cat food in my hand. I am not going to forget to feed you. Similarly, a two-year-old maybe screaming for dinner and you're trying to say to them, like, it's too hot to eat. You will burn your, you know. Yes. 
they are developing that skill and expecting them to sit and be like, I will wait patiently while mother blows on my peas is similar to expecting them to be able to hit a three-point shot. They do not have the skill to do it. It's not just waiting. It's also dealing with the emotions that are being brought up by their waiting, right? It's self-reg. There's a video of one of my siblings on their second birthday saying, I want cake, I want cake, like screaming that during the video while we're singing happy birthday. Because they're two. They don't understand. Like, we're just going to sing this song. And then the next thing that happens and just the feeling. Right. Because a two-year-old sees a cake and everything else goes out of their head. A 50-year-old sees cake. The cake can be on display at their birthday party the whole time. And you may be like, I can't wait for that cake. But you're not like stopping talking to other people at the party to stick your face in the cake at 7 p.m. when you know the cake is coming at 10. That makes sense. I'll give you a couple of other brief examples from Pamela Cole, who is a professor of psychology at Penn State University. 18 to 24 months old were quick to react angrily and slower to shift attention away from a brightly wrapped box. They know there's something exciting in that. Not knowing what was inside added to the desire and the frustration of being waiting to open it. They don't want to wait for it. The minute the wrap box in front of them, that's where all their attention goes. And reading along from this study by three years old, Dr. Cole says the kids can start to focus on other things for a little while before getting angry. And when they do get angry, that anger itself is more short lived. Four-year-olds bid for their mother's attention just as much as 18 months old. The difference is that they made a quick bid and then turned their attention to something else. Overall, kids become less angry and show greater self-regulation as they got older. That's the takeaway. So patience is getting better as the years go by. Let's talk in part two about like, is this just something you have to wait out if you have a little kid who's impatient? Is it like, eh, by the time they're 25, they'll be patient? Or are there things that we do need to do as parents to sort of build it, instruct it, encourage it? Let's do that. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber. 
while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Amy, I'm coming back hot with a favorite topic of mine. The marshmallow experiment. <laughs> we have discussed the marshmallow experiment. If you are unfamiliar, the marshmallow experiment was an experiment performed at Stanford in the late 60s and early 70s, in which kids were told they could have one marshmallow now or two marshmallows after a given set of time, let's say five minutes. And the idea was that there was a correlation between kids who could Wait, who understood two marshmallows were better than one and that five minutes is not a long time to wait or even two minutes. And how old are these kids? Amy, thanks for asking. The kids were three to five years old in the marshmallow. Oh, my gosh. That's the zone. I feel like that's the zone where we're going to see it developing. Okay, that's exactly the zone we're talking about. Thirty two children were involved. The idea was you can have one marshmallow now or you can have two marshmallows pretty soon. Two marshmallows pretty okay. soon. And some kids could wait and some kids could not. Yes. And there was lots of statistical analysis about which kids could wait and which kids couldn't wait. At the time, the idea was that patience was sort of a, a great indicator of outcomes so that the patient kid later did better on the SATs. The patient kid was later had all sorts of better life outcomes, went to a four-year college, had a higher income. In 2008, a large representative sample of preschoolers recreated the study and they were trying to replicate statistically significant correlations between early age delay times, meaning ability to wait for the marshmallow and later age outcomes like SAT scores. And the replication studies found only weak statistical significant correlations, which disappeared after controlling for socioeconomic factors. Yeah. So the kid is more likely to wait if it's a kid that has had more early advantages. Correct. That rich kids do amazingly well on the marshmallow test. Kids who okay. know that delaying means getting more are more likely to wait for the marshmallow. And more importantly, that socioeconomic factors are generally much stronger indicators of outcomes than anything about the marshmallow test. Right, right. You did better in the SATs because of all the advantages you had in your life, not because you can wait five minutes better than other kids. Because you had a tutor, because you went to a high-end school in a good neighborhood, and it really did not have to do with whether or not you chose to wait for a marshmallow when you were five. It does seem to me, though, to maybe indicate that kids with more advantages socioeconomically are more likely to have had parents that are teaching them patience, in which patience was an expectation in their house. Like, why are these kids better at waiting? Amy, as you like to say, I'm going to push back on that. I don't think that the parents have taught them patience. I think that the idea that like living in abundance, if I go and the cookie drawer is empty today, tomorrow it's full. Mm -hmm. That is just teaching you that waiting pays off. 
Mm-hmm. It's not so much that your parents sat down and taught you patience. It's that patience has been rewarded throughout your young life. Whereas if you go to the kiki jar and it's always empty, this is obviously a metaphor, then patience has not been rewarded. So it's not so much teaching or not teaching patients. It's just life experience. Deconnecting the marshmallow test and outcomes is the most important thing. Whether or not there may have been kids who were not patient because their life experience said, take what you can get now because later you can't trust in it. And also that over time, that the statistical connection between a five-year-old and a marshmallow choice and SAT scores are, there's too many other factors in the way, in between. Uh-huh. And we talk about this a lot with data that we get on the podcast, right? Like, hmm, what's really being tested for there? Right. Like, what's the flaw in the study? Yeah. And so could you lay some of it at that some three-year-olds are good at waiting and some five-year-olds are still kind of bad at it, but they're all on a trajectory of getting better at waiting and being patient that they're going to learn? Is that the real takeaway? I mean, I think that there's lots of ways that you can help kids be more patient. Nothing is destiny and patience is a skill. And I will turn to Jill Trumbull, an associate professor of human development at University of New Hampshire. The ability to wait is about self-control and delayed gratifications. And these are important real world skills because there will not be people entertaining you 24-7. So moving away from the marshmallow study, which we understand was flawed, patience is a great thing to develop and practice. Yes. And so it has tons and tons of real world applications that are going to be useful to any human being, that the ability to be patient is important. But yes, kids have different patient set points to start out from. But what this tells me, what she's saying is that you want your kids to learn to be patient because they will be happier people if they're more patient. She says that research suggests kids who grow up into patient adults have better health, have better mental health, have stronger relationship skills, make more progress toward their goals. So I'm reading this like, right, okay. So teaching our kids to be patient is not so they won't be annoying at Target in the checkout line. It's so they are happier when they grow up. It's worthy for themselves, not just to stop annoying mom so much. Yeah. And similarly, this brings us a little bit back to the marshmallow. There's a safety in childhood that leads to a certain kind of patient adult that better outcomes always makes me a little bit crazy. The factors in people's life outcomes do not come down to whether or not you sat and taught them patience as a young child. You know what I mean? I'm very like stuck on that thing. I don't want to leave people with the idea of you teach patience because people have better outcomes. But obviously, patience, like throwing a basketball, like being able to read and write, it's a life skill that needs to be developed. And I think the takeaway is like patience in itself has value, and I want to detach it from the idea of its life outcomes. But I mean, there's life outcomes like SAT scores and salary ranges. And then there's outcomes like contentment and ability to live a life that is fulfilled to you, which is certainly harder to measure, but is also really, I mean, that's what we want, right? It is true. As I'm thinking about this, like, hmm, am I happier when I'm more patient? Yes, I guess that I am. Yes. I guess that mornings when I'm not telling my kids to hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, they're they're late for school. What are we doing? That I'm not doing that, that they either do what they need to do without me having to hassle them. Or like this morning, both of my kids were a little bit behind their morning schedule and they were chit-chatting in the kitchen and petting the dog and enjoying each other's company. 
And I started to and then checked in myself the, what are you guys doing? Like, you're supposed to have left 10 minutes ago. My teenagers were getting along in the kitchen and what they didn't need was my impatience to hurry them up. And maybe they were late for school and maybe they weren't. That's a low stakes time when I can back off and probably be happier. But you have a long-standing expression, which we haven't used in a while because you were applying it to very young kids, never interrupt a happy toddler. And like, right, don't interrupt a happy teenager either, as it turns out. Yeah. And I think that patience, like there's a formula, how much patience your child has meeting how much patience you have at any given moment. And this morning, I was just telling Amy before I got on, whenever I have to wake up to an alarm, I don't sleep well. I I spend the whole night like, is the alarm about to go off? And so I got very little sleep. My husband is away. And so I had all the three kids and everybody was fighting. And this one didn't have the right thing for breakfast. And I just had the morning where like everybody's patience was zero and all it did was like just pour gasoline on every single fire. So then it became like, put your phone away. I'm telling you no more phones in the morning. I told you we don't do phones anymore. I was just checking something. Don't talk to me that way. Like we should have probably hit this in part one, Amy, but let's talk about like the actual definition of the word patience, because I also feel like it's a word we use for a lot of different things. So here we go. You ready? Yeah. The quality of being patient as the bearing of provocation, annoyance, misfortune, or pain without complaint, loss of temper, irritation, or the like. That's a good definition. You can bear something unpleasant without having an unpleasant reaction. Yeah, I failed that test this morning. Yeah. And here's the second definition. An ability or willingness to suppress restlessness or annoyance when confronted with a delay. That's our traffic, right? That's what I'm bad at. Yep. Quiet, steady perseverance, evered tempered care, diligence to work with patience. Okay. And also... A European duck of buckwheat family whose leaves are most often <laughs> Let's talk about that. used as a vegetable, as in a patient duck. That should have been really what we talked about, the European duck of buckwheat. But of course, okay, so... It's in the buckwheat family. So, so if patience is, you know, taking on something that's frustrating or painful or, you know, somehow irritating without having an unpleasant reaction to it, of course it's good to be patient because you don't have any unpleasant reaction. Like the unpleasant reaction is... Not so great inside you or inside your kid. So, of course, it's better to have less of that. Well, and it's something I find myself saying to my tweens constantly at this point, which is you can't control what happens. You can only control how you react to Mm -hmm. it. I mean, Uh, yes. (laughs) Amy just made a very funny face. It was like, okay, Captain Obvious. (laughs) No, I I just don't want to hear it is what what my face meant to say. Like, you're right. And I don't want to hear it. Oh, that was your face. But yeah, that's right. And it's true that like one of my kids said to me this morning, they have an orthodontist appointment and a dentist appointment on the same day. And they said, this is going to be the worst day of my life. To which I responded, good news. You'll get the worst day of your life out of the way today. (laughs) And... They did not think that was an amusing statement, but I thought it was kind of funny. I guess it's going to be the worst day of your life if you choose to... Perceive it that way, yes. Respond to two dental appointments as the worst thing that ever happened to a human being. Yeah, I guess that's where we're going to land. Listen, physician heal thyself. I mean, I am not somebody who takes annoyance, misfortune, and provocation by being like, hmm, I will deal with that without complaint, loss of temper, irritation, or the like. That is not where I am. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to really dial down on what we are doing to make ourselves and our children more patient. 
Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. And now, teaching moms anger management from the What Fresh Hell podcast. You're in Target with three children under six. Your oldest has run off, the baby has had a diaper blowout, and your three-year-old is screaming repeatedly and at full volume that they need a giant teddy bear they've spotted in the toy aisle. Just then, an older woman approaches you. You hope that perhaps she will offer to take some number of your children back to her house and raise them as her own. But instead, she touches your shoulder, looks deep into your eyes, and says... Enjoy every moment, Mama. You'll be tempted to grab a Lego set off a nearby shelf and beat this woman about the head and neck with it until she flees. But that's a bad choice. Instead, we suggest taking a deep breath and walking away and then writing something mean about her on Instagram when you get home. Okay, Mom, you've got company coming in an hour. The house is a mess and you've asked your spouse to lend a hand with emergency cleanup. During your frenzy of shoving items into the downstairs closet and lysoling every possible surface, you look around to find that your significant other has decided that now would be a good time to unravel the random box of computer cords that lives in the living room closet. You'll be tempted to cancel your gathering and instead call a divorce attorney. But that would be rash. Instead, we suggest redirecting your beloved partner to a helpful task such as cleaning the bathroom. After the event, don't forget to find a moment of calm to carefully explain to your spouse the meaning of the word priorities. Uh-oh. Your kid has started scratching their head, and a quick trip to the bright lights of the bathroom confirms... It's lice. Your first instinct will be to burn down your entire home and start a new life far away. 
But that's stinkin' thinkin', Mama. Instead, it's time to roll up those sleeves, find the shampoo and lice brush, and cancel your plans for the day in favor of hot laundering everything in your home. But we totally won't judge you if you want to take a moment first and do some really hardcore crying. And or beating your breast and screaming why while shaking your fists at the heavens. Guys, we're fine with that. Totally reasonable. This has been Teaching Moms Anger Management. From the What Fresh Hell Podcast. Okay, so we do want to teach our kids patience because patience will make them happy, us happy. It's worth encouraging them toward it. And that's the end in itself. It's a happier next five minutes is worth it. So... Claire Lerner, we've had her on the show. She's a child development specialist, and she suggests that you actually can start early with kids to teach them a little bit of natural patience. This is her example. She says, your kid is nine or 10 months old. You don't have to fix everything. This is something I really tried hard to do with my kids. If the ball rolls away from your, you know, just starting to move baby and they're saying like, eh, 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 don't make it too easy for them. Let them struggle and go over there on their like army crawl on their stomach and try to get the ball. Let them struggle for the things they want. Let them not have every need met. Don't retrieve everything for them. Instead, Claire Lerner says, ask, how can we get the ball and help her figure out how to do it? She says, as the kids get older, if your kid, say, throws a piece of a puzzle out of frustration, say to them, oh, I know puzzles can be frustrating. What if we try that together? Does that piece fit here? She says, let them figure it out and then give them confidence that they can draw from for future challenges, plus, I guess, a little more patience. And it's hard. I had three kids under four. Letting them be frustrated meant in my house, like high-pitched dinosaur screams. Like, (laughs) I didn't have the patience for their lack of patience. Another thing you can work on, and I did this sometimes with my kids. I wasn't a big baby sign language person, but like, we're waiting right now. And I would hold up my hands. And sometimes I would be like, we're waiting five right now. And then in a couple of minutes, I'd say, we're waiting four right now. We're waiting three right now. I mean, believe me, if you've ever talked about Google Maps, I'm always like, we're 20 minutes away when it says 32 because they can't tell time, you know, like you can fudge it a little bit. But I think like, that's what I'm trying to do is I'm realizing right now as we're talking about it is do what soothes you about Google Maps. Yes. Like this is a five of waiting. Okay, now we're at four. Now we're at three. Mm -hmm. Even with really, really little kids and sign language, I think you can do a lot of like just putting up a hold hand, giving some sort of visual clue or giving some time about like, oh, it'll be about this long. I wanted to say about baby signs. So I was a huge baby signs person. That does not surprise me. Oh, and it is, I mean, it was miraculous. And especially for kids who are in that sort of 12 to 18 months, they know what they want, but they don't have words yet, or sometimes older than that. It helps them a little bit with their impatience and frustration if they can tell you what they want. It's worth it. It goes better for some families than others, but it's worth a shot if you have a kid who's, <laughs> if you have a kid who does that a lot, you might be able to teach them a couple of signs. A big, these are from scholastic.com parents, these tips, and we'll link to that in the show notes. One of the things they suggest, I mean, game changer if you're not doing it, using a timer to help children visualize the way. I will say that mm. kids with developmental delays, kids with ADD, ADHD, kids on the spectrum, They develop patience and tend to have lower frustration points and they develop patience later. Sure. Executive function. Executive function. I was huge on visual timers. You can get apps on your phone that it's like a 20 minute pie and it counts down. I had a kid who had a lot of trouble sitting at the um, dinner table. And I'm not going to lie at 14 still has the same problem. One of the things we did as a kid was set the timer. 
I'll put a link, the time timer. We had it in our house too. I still, we don't use it as much, but I still have it around. I think it's about $10 and then you can, you just have it out. We used to have it in our kitchen. Same thing, like how long till dinner, how much more homework do you have to do? And it's visual or even if you can get your bath and your pajamas done before this time runs out, then there'll be time for a show before bed, things like that. It's really, really helpful. Love a timer. The also the timer. It does Amy's thing of the lady says it puts a kind of neutral party. Sorry, the timer says it's time to leave the playground. I also want to stay, but this stupid timer says we have to go. Like right, if only it's great. Yeah, this is part two. Use reflective listening. So young children don't have the words to express what they're feeling, but you can help them verbalize their emotions. In the checkout line, you might say, I know it's hard to wait. This is taking a long time, but you're doing a good job waiting. If you acknowledge your child's struggle, they'll naturally try harder. This is something that I picked up from the podcast and I was just using it with my older kid the other day. I hear you're so frustrated. I hear that you didn't hear that I listened to you. And believe me, this is so tweet tweet to me that like I have trouble even saying it out loud, but I'm not going to lie. It really works. Oh, that does sound really fr- I'm sorry. Wow. What a terrible day you had. Mm-hmm. They're raging and you're kind of translating it into English for them. And I think it can be really helpful. And in terms of patience, oh, I know. Because what I go to right away is like, right. we're all bored. Yeah. And you're not helping by complaining, right? That's what I go right to, like mafia wife. But a better solution, as it turns out, Amy, is, oh, this is frustrating. This line is really long. Oh, There's nothing worse than waiting in a long line, but it's moving a little bit. Well, it'll be worth it when we get into the fair, but this is frustrating. And I know your feet really do hurt mine too. You know, just finding ways to verbalize it and saying, this is what it is to wait. And Mm -hmm. here's why we're Mm -hmm. doing it. There is another suggestion here that I think is very useful. And then so is the opposite of it a little bit to keep expectations reasonable, right? If your kid... A three-year-old can't wait 25 minutes after an order is taken to finally receive some food, right? I've been in this situation, and you can always ask for the bread basket to come a little sooner. You can always ask for a a bowl of berries if you're at a diner or something, or you can take the kid for a walk outside. There's reasonable expectations. Bring saltines. That's my... uh, Oh, bring saltines, right. Or, you know, ask for crayons, whatever. If, If it's a restaurant that has ever had a kid there before, they might have a strategy that'll work for you. But I also see... I was on vacation recently at a beautiful place with lots of people around, buffet breakfast, tons of activities, and most of the kids I saw being put in those like high chairs that aren't really high chairs. You can sit up by yourself. The chairs you bring up to the edge of the table, but they're not. A baby being strapped in with a tray and being handed iPads wordlessly. As soon as we sit down, here's the iPad. And I think that's something to push back against. I'm not saying no kid ever needs an iPad for you, for them, for everybody around you. But maybe don't do that as soon as you sit down every single time. You're missing a chance to teach. I have an adult friend who calls it her baby rattle, right? Like that her phone, it's like, oh, if her baby rattle is away from her, she goes crazy. I shattered the screen on my iPhone. I was in New York City. I brought it to like a 33rd floor, like I fix it or whatever it's called, dropped it off. And on the elevator, it was an older building. It didn't even have like the like uh, the screen that tells you the weather and stupid facts. That told you exactly. That tells you how many more more floors until you get down. Right. And I was like, what am I doing? And like, I was going crazy in the elevator. Like, I, what am I supposed to do? Think about something, you know, hum to myself. This is the, the digital native generation. It is difficult. Like, I mean, I 
just went to town for something and the door was locked. I realized, oh, it's five minutes. And like right away, I was on Twitter for five minutes. Like I can't even just wait for a door to be open. I mean, it's a very big challenge to overcome. You know, you want to have a nice dinner. Like, okay, instead of a sitter, you know, you give the kid the iPad. I get it all. Yes, a three-year-old can't throw a jump shot and they can't wait at a French restaurant for 45 minutes for the amuse-bouche to come out. So don't put yourself in that position and work around it. But also find the opportunities to be patient where you can. Find the opportunity to practice patience when you can. And that includes us in elevators. I mean, you are right to not fill every moment with the screen. It's a chance to model patients. Unfortunately, I was going to say that brings us to our last rule, which is unfortunately always our last and best option. Model the behavior that you want to see in your kids. Be the change. Once again, friends, there is no magic box. My Kid and I are addicted to this show. I think it's called Once, but it's for Once Upon a Time. It's a show from the n- maybe 2000s. Maybe, I, I, yeah, the aughts. The aughts. Yeah, I don't know. It's about the fairy tale <laughs> characters who come to life. We are so into it. We watch one episode every night. They lose the threat, and there's like 11 teen seasons. It's so many. It's so long. My kid's always like, oh, I wonder if that spell that poisoned her to death is going to have an antidote. Like, it's just the same plot a million times. It's very circular. It's so dopey. And yet... We love it. Amazing outfits. That's one thing Mm. I will say for it. I have decided that Evil Queen is going to be my new fashion go-to look. So get excited for that. It's a lot of high collars and like bedazzling. I really like the look. Okay. I always say to my daughter, could I pull that off? And she's like, um, (laughs) she's very kind. She doesn't say no, but she's thinking it. So what I was saying about Once Upon a Time is like there's always like a box in the woods and you open it and inside is enlightenment or like the missing piece that you need to put the spell together or whatever. That is so often how we think about self-confidence, self-esteem. It's how we think about, you know, grit, that there's a magic box somewhere that we're going to read the right book and we're going to find a map to the magic box labeled grit and we're going to open it up and our kid is going to have grit. And the bad news is your kid is looking at you and turns out the way that you act fundamentally, you know? And so modeling patience and your child is watching you and listen, this is hard. And here's the thing. My husband, who you know, is maybe the most patient person I've ever met in my life. Still waters. Yeah. He has a very calm internal life. He is still waters. And so I'll be going crazy. Like, how can this be this way? And he's like, well, just have to get through it, I suppose. Like, he just is Joe regulated, you know? He is... He's too patient. He's too patient. It drives me absolutely... It's Seriously, it's, it's like... <laughs> That's my, another problem. It's his biggest flaw. <laughs> we'll do another whole podcast about why is my husband so damn patient and why does it drive me crazy? But in two instances, he loses his blank in mind, Amy. Number one is when his sports team okay. loses. Completely reasonable, of course. Or he's falling behind or making poor choices. He goes insane. We have rival teams. He's a Dallas Cowboys fan and I'm a New York Giants fan. We have finally stopped watching the game together because it's not even fun. He gets that mad. He goes crazy. When I was playing tennis, he was a competitive tennis player. I was like eight months pregnant. I was like, let's hit the ball back and forth. We were on vacation. He was like nailing tennis balls at my pregnant stomach at like 90 miles an hour. Because he cannot turn off the thing in him that's like, I will beat you. And I kept saying, does this make you feel good? Like hitting your pregnant wife with tennis balls in the face? So sports and driving. He goes crazy in the car. 
If he was stuck in traffic, he would. Yeah, he just is a road rager. I mean, not really. I mean, a road rage has become a less comical idea. He gets very angry at the other drivers and he'll he'll start to do the jockeying and like, I'm not going to let you in because you blah, 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 blah. He's got a problem. And your kids are watching in the backseat. But this is what I'm saying about your kids are watching. They see a man who is patient 97% of the time. And then as I will once again quote the show once, the dark one comes out. His dark one comes out in traffic. That's reasonable. Like you don't have to pretend to be a monk calmly chanting in a monastery 24 hours a day to teach your kids patience. You're a real person. That's still a teachable moment. If I were that person who gets impatient driving and being stuck in traffic too, I've been this person. I've said like, oh, I'm fine. I'm getting so impatient. There's nothing we can do. Let's just find something interesting to listen to. That you can express your impatience and then sort of role play. What am I going to do to manage this impatience that I'm having right now? Right. Instead of just screaming out the window, you're an idiot and letting your kids cower in the back seat. The part where you struggle with it and then then sort of reframe it is really worth them seeing. I think that is modeling patience. Absolutely. Yes, you're not as patient as you should be because nobody is. But listen, you're verbalizing it and you are you can do the same thing you do for the kid who's frustrated. Yes, this is frustrating. What a long wait. Oh, oh I take my sports team way too seriously, but I get, you know, it's fine. The kid's going to see your flaws too. But in general, unfortunately, you got to try to be a little patient if you want patient kids. At least we solved it. Solved it. I'm glad you were patient while we solved it. Have you signed up for our newsletter yet? Because I'm going to keep asking until you do it. It's very easy to do so. <laughs> wow, that was threatening. <laughs> become the dark one. I will keep after you. Sign up for the newsletter. It's in the link. It's in the show notes for this episode. It's on our website. Uh, it's probably on our Facebook page. It's everywhere. It's Love is all around you. Sign up for our newsletter. Once a month, we send you fun links, some of our favorite episodes of other things we're listening to. How could you miss out on that? You don't want to. You're soaking in it, people. It's the newsletter. Find it. Sign up now or Amy will come to your house in some threatening manner. <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm going to put it in our Instagram bio, too. I forgot to put it there. I'm off to do that right after this. Please. It it's got to be everywhere. We don't want people to miss out on the newsletter. Patient friends, thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next time. So long. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. 
with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.